0: God and Heavenly Father, You are great. And it's with great delight that we praise You. We lift up our voices and, and sing. And we, we are so thankful that You have saved us and brought us into a relationship with Yourself. And One of the things we appreciate so much is that You know us individually. You know us personally. You care for us. You care about us. We've been thinking this morning about the Good Shepherd who knows His sheep and who protects them and leads them and watches over them. And Father, we thank you that you have a purpose and a plan for each and every one of us. You lead us in a direction. There's something that you want us to accomplish. We thank you for providing us your word. We ask that you would open your word to us this morning, that the Holy Spirit would illuminate it to us. And Father, that everyone who is here would be blessed as you would speak to them, Lord, and you would minister to them. We ask that you would be honored in all that is done this morning. Commit ourselves to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, please be seated. Start off with a little correction. Uh, We are going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 5 this morning, but we're going to focus on verses 3 to 16. So I invite you, if you have Bibles or phone apps, to go ahead and turn there. Uh, The topic... That we're going to focus on is uh, about caring for widows and, and the interaction of a local church with widows. And this isn't a topic that we preach on or teach about very often. In fact, I really can't remember. I don't think I've ever heard a message on this topic. So, so I'm really glad that we are uh, that I have the opportunity to to look at this uh, this morning because I think I, I believe that this is a very important topic. We'll see the reasons why. And so it's good that we're looking at it by means of an introduction. So the the website Bible.org has some helpful thoughts, and it starts with an introduction. When it talks about this passage, it starts with this introduction. It says, Women lost their husbands for a variety of reasons, such as the dangers of travel, disease, war, and a host of other things. In those days, speaking about um, 1st century and maybe 2nd century, there was no government assistance and widows were an especially vulnerable class. Without their husbands, they often had to turn to begging or prostitution. Therefore, the church gave great attention to this neglected class. There's good reason for the church's attention uh, towards widows. There's several uh, verses in the Old Testament, that give us insight into how God feels about widows. And I just want to share with you just three of those verses here. Deuteronomy 10, verse 18, He that is God executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. We have Deuteronomy 27, verse 19, Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And then again, Psalm 68, And verse 5, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. So these verses should make it clear to us that God has a very tender heart to those who are not able to protect themselves or depend on others to meet their needs. And widows and orphans are explicitly mentioned here. Now, it's not just the Old Testament. The New Testament also reflects this same sentiment. The Gospel of Luke as an example, records three instances in Jesus' ministry where widows are mentioned. Uh, There's an episode in Luke chapter 7 where the Lord Jesus enters into a town called Nain, and he encounters this widow who has just lost her son, and he raises that young man back to life. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus gives a parable about a persistent widow. And then in Luke chapter 21, the Lord Jesus is at the temple, and he observes this elderly widow putting in two copper coins, and he commends her for her tremendous faith because she put in all that she had. Now, it's not only in the Gospels, widows are also mentioned in the Epistles. Most of you are familiar with James chapter 1, verse 27. It says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans, And widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So now coming back to 1 Timothy chapter 5, we've been looking at this passage, or this epistle, now for several months, and the latter part of this epistle really focuses in on what it takes for a local church to function properly. What are the things that need to be in place? This is the advice that Paul is giving to his protege, Timothy. Timothy. And it's important to point out there that the Holy Spirit devotes 13 verses in 1 Timothy chapter 3 to the subject of qualifications for church leaders. There's seven, if you recall, uh, seven verses about elders or overseers, and there's about six verses that, that talk about deacons. Now, in contrast, in this chapter, there are 14 verses that talk about widows. So the relative importance of this subject should be clear. I will mention that there's at least one verse in this passage that could be regarded as somewhat controversial, and we're not going to skip that. We're going to take that one, and uh, I'm going to share some thoughts with you about that, but we are going to look at that verse. But before we dig into that passage, I think it's important to emphasize the fact, and this is true of the, all, the, the New Testament and this epistle, that it's the Holy Spirit who's talking here. If this is not Paul's personal opinion or thoughts, it's the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul. So we need to keep that in mind when we uh, try to understand what's being spoken of here. Look at the verses 3 to 8, so just keep that ready. But Paul addresses widows in two sets of groups here. The first set has three groups. The second set has two groups. So try to keep that in mind. The first set of widows, three groups... There are the truly widows, the true widows. Paul's going to talk about those in verses 3 and verse 5. Then you have widows who have believing relatives. And Paul's going to discuss those in verse 4 and verse 8. And then you have widows who are self-indulgent. And Paul's going to discuss those in verse 6. And then going over to verses 9 to 16, you have another set with two groups. And in that group, you have the older widows that are discussed in verses 9 and 10, and then you have the younger widows that are discussed in verses 11 to 15. So we'll, we'll recap this, so I don't feel like you have to keep all this in your head. We'll go through it. So we're going to look at each one of these groups, and what we're going to learn is the church's obligation uh, towards the widows who are in each of these groups. That's kind of our objective. And before we do that, I want to share some personal commentary on sort of the motivation behind this passage, or at least what I believe is the motivation. And the fact that Paul covers this topic uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, it doesn't mean that he is trying to institute a new practice or try to address some sort of a gap or a mission. The church had been actively caring for widows since before Paul became a believer. Now we know this because if we were to go back to Acts chapter 6, we would see that the church in that chapter formally allocates responsibility for the care of widows as an important task, okay? Uh, Stephen and six other deacons were selected and given that very important responsibility for caring for widows. And actually not all of the widows, but just the Greek-speaking widows. So even back then, this was a very important responsibility. Now, as the gospel message spread, that responsibility or that task of taking care of widows was likely adopted by the newly established churches, including probably the one at Ephesus. However, as sometimes happens, the implementation of a principle sometimes drifts from the original intent. So it's possible that, that widows were added to church support who really weren't deserving or really needed the support. And that may have stretched the resources of a local church. And as a result, maybe some of the widows who really needed the help weren't getting it. And so what Paul, I believe, is doing here is he's giving Timothy some helpful guidance in correcting what may have been a drift in the implementation of this practice in the church on Ephesus. Now, of course, all this is, is my personal opinion. And, and you are welcome to look, and I would encourage you to look at this and come to your own conclusions about the motivation for this. So let's go ahead and jump into First Timothy chapter 5. We're going to read verses 3 to 8, and you can follow along. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return for their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. So I want you to notice, Paul starts off this passage with a directive or a command. He says, honor widows. Now that word, honor, is the same word that's used in John chapter 5, verse 23. That verse says that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So that word, honor, is the sense of giving proper recognition or respect. It also conveys the sense of esteem or of value. Now, in this particular passage, honor also has the sense of providing practical or financial support. Okay, And that's what, that, well, that's what Paul's getting at here. We have to remember that in that time period, there was nothing like Social Security or life insurance or anything like that that would kick in when a husband passed away. Um, a woman who lost her husband uh, was in most cases destitute and financially dependent on the generosity and well-being of others. But Paul qualifies the directive here. He says, Honor widows who are truly widows. And that should bring up the question in your mind, well well what does he mean by those who are truly widows. Well, fortunately, he does give us clarification. That word truly means genuine or in fact as opposed to in pretense or in false. So he's making a distinction between those who are true widows and those who are really not true widows. Fortunately, he provides that clarification in verse 5, and it's based on three things. Okay, It's based on condition, it's based on character, and action. So Condition, first, she who is truly a widow, take a look in verse 5, she who is truly a widow is left all alone. So someone who is a widow who is truly a widow is someone who really does not have anyone else to help. Okay, that's condition. Second is character. One who is truly a widow has set her hope on God. So it should be clear from this, uh, this verse that we are talking here about a godly Believer, someone who is a member of the family of God. Now, the church's primary obligation when it comes to practical or financial support is towards believers. Under special circumstances, certainly the church may provide support um, to others, to assistance to others, but not really on a consistent basis. And if you think about that, that makes sense. If the church is a family, right, you're going to prioritize the needs of family members above friends and acquaintances and certainly over strangers. So we talked about two characteristics or criteria. The third criteria for what distinguishes a true widow is action. Verse 5, it says, A true widow is engaged in prayer, in godly activity. She continues in supplication night and day. She makes her needs known, not to everybody around. She makes her needs known to God. She trusts that God will provide. Okay? Now, you might say, well, prayer really isn't action, per se. It's not really doing something, is it? I mean, um, you know, that's a, that's a mistake that we sometimes make. That's a, a wrong perspective that we have. We think of prayer as kind of an add-on, an accessory. It's something that we do because it's spiritual to do, but we don't really expect it to accomplish anything that's really contrary to what scripture and and really practical experience affirm prayer works and genuine sincere prayer is hard work we can see that in james chapter 5 this is a verse that most of us are probably familiar with james chapter 5 verses 16 to 18 the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So that episode that James is referring to here is recorded in 1 Kings chapter 18. And if we were to read it, we would see that Elijah's prayer is hard work. He climbed up to the top of a mountain. He prayed fervently and sincerely seven times. Times before the Lord sent rain. Sometimes we think of prayer kind of like online shopping, right? We go onto a website, we find the thing that we want, we click it, we buy it, and then we just expect it to show up, you know, a day later or maybe a couple of weeks later. Um, That's not the kind of prayer that, that the Bible is talking about, right? Uh, perhaps a better analogy is, is, is like this. Imagine you purchase something and you aren't told when it's going to show up. You have to keep going back and checking from time to time. That may take days, it may take weeks, it may take months, it may take years. Eventually, the thing shows up and it's exactly what you want, but it doesn't look or work the way you envision. That may be a closer analogy, okay? True prayer is disciplined Regular, going to God and, and asking him to fulfill that request. Right? It requires persistence. Now, The Lord Jesus shares a parable in Luke chapter 18 on persistence in prayer, and it's no coincidence that the protagonist in that parable is a widow. Right? What's really shocking about that parable, most of you remember Luke, Luke chapter 18, I'll encourage you to read it, What's really shocking about that parable is that the antagonist, the opposer, the adversary, is a judge. A judge is somebody who should make it a priority to and be proactive in protecting the rights of this poor widow. And and this man has a legal and a moral obligation to prioritize her rights, to take care of her, and he totally fails. The amazing thing is the widow doesn't give up. She keeps at it. She is persistent until she eventually gets the outcome that she needs. I wonder if maybe Paul was thinking about this example when he wrote these words, the true widow continues in supplications night and day. Now look at verse 4. In verse 4, Paul introduces a second group of widows. Widows with believing children and grandchildren. Although the topic is about widows, In this verse, the focus is really on the the children and the grandchildren. The expectation is that they are going to step up and take care of their widowed mother or grandmother. And the Apostle Paul gives three reasons for doing this. First of all, they demonstrate practical godliness to their immediate family. That could be their wife or their husband or their children. Right? It's a great example of real practical godliness. And then second, it's an opportunity to repay their parents for the care that they have showed them when they were growing up. And the third, and an equally important reason, is doing so is really pleasing to God. You know, religion has to get to the practical level if it's something that's going to impact us and others around us. You know, it it has to affect how we live. It's not just about what we do at church but it's practically how we live. If we say we have a relationship with God, we need to care about the same things and people that he cares about. And that includes other believers, particularly those who are most vulnerable because that's that's God's heart. The ex- exhortation from the apostle really applies to us today. You know, those of us who have parents or grandparents, we we have a responsibility and obligation to care for them. And Paul circles back and really emphasize this. He really hits it hard in verses 7 and 8. He says this, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith, and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, Paul is not questioning their salvation here. He is just pointing out that in failing to care for relatives, particularly family members who are um, really in need, that conduct is worse than what you would expect from somebody who's not even saved, somebody who doesn't have a relationship with God, and they're really bringing disrepute uh, and 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 questioning the or, or invalidating uh, a Christian witness by doing that. So I have a friend, um, John, who lost his dad to COVID in 2021. Uh, his dad was a faithful believer uh, who loved the Lord. Uh, John's mom is a great cook and a homemaker. But his father took care of things like paying the bills, maintaining the home, taking care of cars, those kinds of things. When his dad passed away, his mom was was a little lost. She was not used to being by herself, first of all, and she certainly wasn't used to the maintenance and logistical aspects of taking care of a household. But it was so amazing and inspiring the way her three children, uh, there's John, and then he has a younger sister and a younger brother, it was so amazing the way that they just stepped up and took care of their mom. They all took turns doing it. John would, would take her down to Atlanta for several months, and she would stay with him. And then uh, John's sister, who actually lives in India, would, would come over to Michigan and spend time with her mom, uh, several months and then John's brother actually lives in Michigan and and he would check in on her and uh, and take care of her for several months actually one one time when he when she was down in Atlanta his little brother and his wife actually renovated their entire kitchen for her okay you know that care that they have shown to their mom was a tremendous witness to friends and family in Michigan particularly those who were not believers when they saw the way that these children cared for their widowed mother, um, and when I think about caring for widows, you know, especially p- family members, that that example is really at the top of the list for me. But you know, I realize that not every situation is going to be like John's family. Right? Sometimes relationships with family members can be stressful. Right? Uh, relatives can sometimes be difficult to get along with. They can be critical. They can be demanding. I know that happens. But being a believer means that we aren't limited to function in a natural way. If we have the indwelling Spirit of God, and if we yield to Him, He is able to enable us to operate on a different plane, a spiritual plane. If we're determined to obey the Lord, He will provide for us, He will enable us, Right? You know, there may also be financial challenges. Some of us, it's, it's kind of a stretch just to take care of and meet the needs of our, our immediate family, right? Thinking about having to take on the responsibility for practically and financially caring for a widowed mother or grandmother or aunt, you know, it may just be an overwhelming thought. But again, the principle is that, that God is, is faithful and he is trustworthy if he calls on us to do something And we can believe that he is going to meet the need. He's going to supply the need. Okay, so now jumping into verse 6, if you want to follow along. Verse 6. This is the contrast. This is the self-indulgent widow who lives for luxury. Now, her devotion is the opposite. Her devotion isn't towards the Lord and towards the Lord's people. Her devotion is towards herself, and her focus is on pleasure and luxury, okay, living it easy. Paul says that a widow like this is like the walking dead. She has an outward show of, of religiosity, but th- there's nothing genuine. There's no s- real spiritual life in there. So there's two possibilities here. One is that we may be talking about a carnal Christian. Right? All true believers, we know, are indwelt by the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God can and does work in believers to transform them and to change their character. Right? He's the only one who can do that work. And it's it's a tremendous blessing, I think you'll agree with me, to experience that transforming work of the Spirit of God. Unfortunately, some believers are not willing to submit to the Spirit of God. You know, The, the attraction of material things, the here and now, is greater and overwhelms their desire to be conformed to the image of Christ. And we have examples of that in the Bible, right? Uh, Demas is mentioned in 2 Timothy chapter 4 as having abandoned his calling, abandoned the ministry because he loved the things of this world. And so that does happen. So that's one possibility. The other possibility for a self-indulgent widow is that she is not a genuine believer. Not everyone who attends a local church has trusted the Lord Jesus as their personal savior and been born again. You know, their focus and how they spend their time and resources is generally a good indication, not always, but generally a good indication of whether they are sincere or false, whether they're genuine. Someone who has a relationship with the Lord is really motivated by his desires, by his heart. They they use the time, the resources Whatever they are given, again, it comes, it all comes from the Lord, they use those things to bless his people and to glorify the Lord. Right? Someone who doesn't have a relationship with the Lord really it doesn't have that same motivation. And and again, not universally true, but but often a good indication. The Apostle Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test? So I would encourage all of us, it's a good thing to periodically do a self-evaluation before the Lord. This is not to question our salvation, but just to evaluate, am I genuinely born again? Who or what am I trusting in for eternal life? Am I trusting in the Lord Jesus alone or in anything else? You know, we can all drift from time to time. And and for those of us who are saved, am I growing to be more like him? That's the aim, right? We don't stay stagnant. We keep moving towards him, right? He is the goal, to be more and more like him. Is there evidence of the Lord working in my life? The Apostle Paul, I believe, makes it clear that, that the Spirit of God is constantly working in a believer's life, transforming him or her into the image of Christ. Right? And that should be perceptible, certainly on the inside to us, but it's it's going to be perceptible to those around us as well. So it's kind of wrapping this up. Whichever of these two possibilities apply, the, the self-indulgent widow really isn't satisfy the requirements for the support of the local church. Okay? Verses nine to sixteen. Let's go ahead and read that. Actually, for sake of time, let's uh, let's skip the reading. We'll just dig into it. So in verses 9 to 16, you can take a look at it. Uh, Paul gives instructions for enrolling widows. And this has two groups. So there's two groups. One group is widows that are 60 and older that meet a very stringent set of criteria and are enrolled. We're going to talk about those criteria in a sec. And then there's younger widows who are not enrolled. So two groups there. Verses 9 to 10. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children and shown hospitality, washed the feet of the saints and cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. So verses 9 to 10, seven criteria for qualifications for being enrolled in this list. I'll let you take a look at those. People interpret these these verses and these criteria in different ways. There are some who believe these verses are connected to verses 3 and 5, which talk about the criteria for being considered a true widow, one who is deserving of support. The other interpretation of this is that this is really separate from the, the whole issue of financial support. These are qualifications for inclusion in an official order of widows who served in the local church. Some of these widows may also have received financial support. Now, one of the reasons for this second interpretation is that there's a similarity between these criteria and the qualifications that are mentioned in 1 Timothy chapter 3 for elders, overseers, and deacons. There's a lot of similarity between those. We're not going to go through and and do that. It would be an interesting exercise, but we don't have time but I would encourage you to take a look at yourself and see the similarities that exist between this set of criteria and the qualifications that are in chapter 3. Another reason for this is there is extra-biblical support. Now, there's an article in Bible.org refers to John MacArthur who discusses this extra-biblical support. And he says this, In the late 1st and early 2nd centuries, Ignatius and Polycarp, these are both elders in, in local churches, in the 1st and 2nd century, uh, wrote of such an order, that is, an order of, of widows who served. Tertullian, also an elder, lived in the latter part of the 2nd and early part of the 3rd centuries, also mentioned it. The 3rd century document known as the De- Didascalia and the 4th century apostolic constitutions also refer to this order. So there is extra-biblical support. There's also indications in the Bible of a qualified group of older ladies who, who may have served in the local churches. Uh, if you look at Titus chapter 2, verses 3 to 5, Paul says this, Older women likewise are to exhibit behavior fitting for those who are holy, not slandering, not slaves to excessive drinking, but teaching what is good. In this way they will train younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be self-controlled, pure, fulfilling their duties at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the message of God may not be discredited. So you you kind of see the similarities between what's here and what's in 1 Timothy chapter 5. So the widows that were engaged in this, that were enrolled in this list may have been engaged in this ministry of discipling, teaching younger women. Now, such an order doesn't exist in Protestant churches today, and we don't know for sure whether it existed back then, but the one thing that's interesting to observe is that if it did exist, the church at that time made an intentional effort to create opportunities for older widows to serve and made use of their godly wisdom. I think that was a smart idea. Right? And certainly, widows who satisfies those qualities, those criteria that we saw in verses nine and ten, uh, would be very suitable for such an order. Okay, if it did exist. All right. Now we're going to go on to verse verses eleven to fifteen. This section discusses younger widows. And again, for sake of time, we won't read it, but um, it starts off with Paul instructing them that younger widows should not be enrolled. That term, younger widows, obviously means that they are less than 60 because that was one of the criteria for, for the widows who did qualify. But it's possible that, that Paul is using that term, younger widows, as a general term to refer to the widows who did not meet the set of criteria that we see in verses 9 and 10. so the idea is that it's not just a reference to the age okay the distinction is not just based on age the widows in that second category had not consistently demonstrated the character and the service that qualified them to be enrolled okay I don't know that for sure but that's something that I'm going to suggest but Paul gives two reasons for refusing to enroll this group of the second category of widows. And the first one is in verses 11 to 12. The New American Standard Version translates these verses uh, as, Refuse to put younger widows on the list, for when they feel the sensual desires in disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge. The website Bible.org says this, Some understand the older widows to have made some kind of a pledge to the Lord and to the church to the effect that they would remain single so as to devote their remaining years completely to serve the Lord. If a younger widow made such a pledge and then started wishing to marry, again, she would just go back on her pledge and incur the censure of the church. Paul is not condemning the natural desire of a younger widow to marry. What's wrong is the breaking of a pledge. So, one way to interpret these verses 11 and 12 is they're intended to protect these younger widows from possible condemnation and censure for breaking a vow or a pledge that they have made. The second reason for refusing younger widows is in verse 13. And, and the idea there is to protect them against engaging in behavior that would cause slander to either them or to the church from unbelievers, right? widows who are, who are enrolled for service, that they would be traveling from home to home, they would be discipling, and as a result, they would get insight into all of the different things that are going on in those homes. Now, widows in that second category, uh, they may lack maturity and discretion and wisdom and end up becoming gossips and meddling in other people's affairs. Okay, that was a the concern there. And, and this would result, again, in slander and a negative witness for them and for the church. There are commentaries that I've read that suggest that this wasn't just kind of a hypothetical situation, that there was, Paul is addressing an actual problem that existed either in Ephesus or in other churches. So you're thinking, this has already gotten controversial. So the part that really gets controversial is in verses 14 and 15. So in there, Paul instructs Timothy... That widows, younger widows, should marry, bear children, manage households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. So when I read that, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, if you read it as well, there are some objections that could be raised, right? Doesn't this sound kind of chauvinistic, right? A, a woman's place is is to get married and be in the home and raise children. Okay, that's one objection. Um, the second one is, isn't this kind of simplistic? You're saying that you've got a problem and the way to solve it is to get these younger widows married, right? And then the third point is, so you're giving this instruction to widows, right? Isn't it, isn't it really supposed to be the man that takes the initiative when it comes to marriage, right? Why are you giving this instruction to widows? So these are all valid objections, all right? And I can't say uh, that I have... All the answers to these objections, but I'd like to offer some thoughts that might help. So there's some commentaries that suggest that some of the younger widows um, were being taken in by false teaching, erroneous teaching, and they were promoting that false teaching. Okay? And so one thought here is that is, you know, because they were by themselves, they, they did not have someone who could provide that balance. Uh, if that were the case, then Paul's encouragement or instruction for them to marry is really meant to protect them by getting them into a family unit so that they wouldn't be subject to to false teachings or or, or to kind of get strayed get, get taken off course by false teaching that's one possibility you know with regards to the woman's place in the home I really don't think Paul is demeaning or degrading that role of homemaker and uh, and housewife I think really he's elevating it. He's saying to these ladies, you know, a very profitable and productive and very helpful thing you can do is to, to be part of a household to raise children and through that not only benefit that family but also benefit the local assembly and serve the Lord in that way. And I think Paul understands that uh, that getting married is really not within the control of a widow I think what he's saying there is that instead of focusing on, you know, serving, which is, which is a noble thing to do, which is a worthwhile thing to do, that, that a younger widow should focus on getting remarried uh, and being part of a family. The other thing to keep in mind is in that day, which is different than, than today, most marriages were arranged marriages. Men and women didn't typically tend to go and find their own spouses. They usually had help, right? In most cases, it was parents or family members, but in this situation, I think the expectation is that people in the local church would sort of set up a connection, right, for younger widows and connect them with suitable, believing uh, men, and and that would be part of the obligation of the church. So here are just some thoughts um, that I'll suggest. This is a difficult uh, section, but again, there's a, a purpose behind it, and again, paul 's motivation in this is the protection of the believers and the protection of the, the local assembly so that it would not the the testimony and the witness of the assembly uh, would not be damaged as a result of some of the actions of this as a result of supporting uh, widows who perhaps you know engaged in things that were not productive okay so let 's wrap this up. so what are the takeaways what do we want to take away from this passage well I think one thing that's clear, right, is that this is a very important topic. You know, the Holy Spirit takes a lot of verses, is very detailed about giving instruction, comprehensive instruction initially to Timothy and then certainly to us about how to care for uh, and interact with widows in a local church setting, right? Some principles I think that we need to take away from this. First, and, and pretty obvious, the church has an obligation to identify and care for those who are truly widows. And Paul provides that definition in verse 5. Believers should care for family members who are widows. That includes mothers, grandmothers, aunts, right? Um, So that the church's limited resources can be used efficiently and effectively to minister and take care of those who are truly widows. That's the second point. And I think the third point is that mature and godly widows who are devoted to good works can be a tremendous benefit to a local uh, church and a great witness to unbelievers. And the church should facilitate and support their participation in ministry. So I think that's three passages that we need to take away. Now, although this passage talks about widows, I don't think it's a stretch to extend it to divorced ladies. And really, I think the instruction in this passage is is relevant and applicable to all mature, single Christian women. And and we're blessed. We're blessed to have women in our assembly who are in this category. And so I want to speak directly to them at this time. Your participation, your presence and participation in our assembly He's a tremendous blessing to us, and it's a marvelous testimony to the world that God values all people. He doesn't just cast us off uh, when we're old, when we don't have resources, when we're not able to at least materially, physically do, do things. He cares for us at all times and provides opportunities for us to serve, to minister. And I want to just affirm and confirm to you that the believers here at First Colony Bible Chapel are committed to caring for you. And if that isn't happening, then I would encourage you to speak to one of the elders and give us an opportunity to correct that. The other thing that I'll say is that God wants to, to the widows, to the mature single Christian women, uh, here either listening or, or here in the audience, God wants to empower you for ministry right? He wants you to use you to bless others. Don't consider that your condition or your position invalidates or makes you ineligible from participating in ministry. That's not, the, that's not true. There are many who are contributing in a very positive way. We appreciate, we value your contributions. We want to see that continue. But if that isn't your experience yet, for whatever reason, you haven't figured out how and where to get plugged in, then there are opportunities and please, again, come and talk to us, and, and we, we want to get you plugged in. All right. Let's go ahead and close. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this privilege of entering into your word. We thank you, Father, that you have given us a clear instruction and direction about how things should work in the local assembly. And this aspect, the, the care, um, the the support of widows is a very important one. We thank you that we've looked into it uh, this morning. And uh, we just pray, Father, that uh, we're thankful for the the ladies here at First Colony that do contribute, and uh, we want to facilitate that. And we just pray, Father, that uh, that you would bless in all of those ministries. Continue with us this, this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.